Welcome, everyone, to the Euphrates Network podcast, where we discuss theology, culture, and how you fit into the story that God is writing in the world and also in your own life. And my name is Daniel, and I'm here with Shayi. Hello. You already said my name, so I don't know if I need to say oh, okay. With my co-host. Uh, and today we're going to be talking a little bit about intimacy with God, and sometimes Intimacy with God can be a little bit confusing depending on what stream of Christianity you are in. It is either way underused or way overused. And so today, uh, Shady is going to be sharing some thoughts about intimacy with God, and we're going to have a conversation around it. So over to you, Shayi. Yeah. So just thinking about the concept of intimacy with God or closeness with God, relationship with God, however you want to describe it. You know, I think, Dan, I'm sure you remember a number of years ago where it was a big motto of a lot of Christians to say, it's not a religion, it's a relationship. I think it should be talked about this in another episode, but <laughs> it's something I think about a lot. What is it? What is Christianity? It's no yeah. longer a religion? Yeah, yeah. And so like people say, I think people still do it. Um, again, we might have had this conversation. But, but it's, a good, point. it's yeah, a, a good point. It's a distinction. Yeah. yeah. Right. Yeah. But people say, like, I'm not religious. I have a relationship. And and so I, I generally agree. I just I think it's funny because like, it is religion, though. It's yeah, anyways, that works in America, but not yeah. in the Middle East. Yeah, it's confusing sometimes for some people. But yeah, anyways, yeah. Um, but just the, the concept of a relationship of what what does it actually mean to have a relationship with God? You know, because I think it's 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 relatively easier to articulate what it means to have a relationship with another human being because you can tangibly see them. You can talk to them. You know, you can connect with them in like a tangible way. Whereas, you know, God is invisible, right? Generally, you know, not saying people don't have experiences, which is what we're going to talk about because I think it's a big part of relationship with God, but just generally God is invisible. So what does it mean to have a relationship with an invisible being? And if that's a whole crux of what we say our purposes and purposes in life, what Christianity is, relationship, I want to unpack what is a relationship with an invisible God. Yeah, just on that, uh, I think when we say, you know, invisible, and I think when we talk about connecting and having intimacy with God, mainly we're talking about how does our spirit commune with the Holy Spirit? Right. Like, how do we connect with the with God as a spirit? Right. And spirits are normally invisible. Is that the point that you're trying to make? Um, Not yet. But I guess, yeah, oh, okay. maybe I jumped ahead. No, no, right. no, no, no. You're, but you're, you're hit. You're 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 starting to hit on it. Um, But it's a complicated thing. Like, how do we navigate? How do we navigate that where our whole life we are like having friends and relationships with other humans who we can see? Yeah. And then all of a sudden now we have to you know, have a relationship with the spirit. Yeah. Yeah. hundred percent. And I think that if we're thinking from the perspective of, you know, you're just kind of like, just imagine you're, you're an outsider. You don't really have a belief in the concept of God and you're trying to navigate people who say they have a relationship with him. I'm, I'm kind of starting from that perspective and like trying to, you know, dig from there like what is it what does it mean practically and so we're gonna we're gonna arrive on the 
like a spiritual connection. But I did want to start actually with a with a scripture, if you don't mind, in like Numbers 12. I'm going to read like just a few and we're going to we're going to discuss it, um, discuss these scriptures. But in Numbers 12, I'm going to read verses six through eight. And just to set the context, this is when the Israelites, um, so God's chosen people in the Bible, you know, they had been enslaved by the Egyptians. And, you know, there was a leader named Moses who led them out of Egypt and he was going to lead them towards the promised land. And, you know, they had a number of years where they were wandering in the wilderness. And this chapter is kind of in the in the midst of that. And so Moses had um, two siblings named Miriam and Aaron. And in this chapter, Miriam and Aaron were kind of leaders, you know, among the Israelites, but Moses was the main leader, right? And Miriam and Aaron were essentially like challenging Moses's authority. And, you know, in, you know, in a certain way that I don't really need to unpack, but in this context where they're challenging Moses' authority, it says that the Lord, like in verse five, that he came down in a pillar of cloud and stood at the doorway of the tent. And he's he's essentially like defending Moses's authority and leadership. And this is and in that context where God is defending Moses's authority and leadership, he gives insight as to what it means for someone to be close to him. And so I'm going to read these verses where it says he said, um, and this is God saying. So all, the rest of this is just all a quote from God. Hear now my words. If there is a prophet among you. I, the Lord, shall make myself known to him in a vision. I shall speak with him in a dream. Not so with my servant Moses. He is faithful in all my household. With him I speak mouth to mouth, even openly and not in dark sayings. And he beholds the form of the Lord. Another translation, I believe, says, He sees me as I really am. And it goes on to say, Why then were you not afraid to speak against my servant, against Moses? So in this passage, God is contrasting what it looks like for an ordinary prophet to have a relationship with him and what it looks for Moses to have a relationship with him. It says, like, I will make myself known to him. In other words, this is how I reveal myself. This is how I make myself known. And so he says, for a prophet, I make myself known to him in a vision or in a dream. But with Moses, who's loyal to me, I, ex I express myself, I reveal myself more openly. He beholds the form of the Lord. You know, it says like, I speak openly and not in dark sayings. And so what it, what it, art, what it's articulating, you know, just to summarize is that for Moses, who has a deeper relationship with God, the ways in which he sees God, beholds God is with more clarity and with it's just more tangible than it uh, than it is for a prophet or for someone else. And so what I see from this passage, just a little glimmer of this passage, is that a relationship with God is where God, who is invisible, you know, invisible to our natural senses generally, becomes more tangible and becomes more aware. And we relate to him on a personal level um, in a way where he's just more tangible to us you know when we pray we have a sense a confidence of him listening we see things in our life where we can point to and say i saw god working in this area i see god working in this area we're more aware of who he is and i'm not even i guess i'm not saying that's everything 
that um, encompasses having a relationship with God, but that's a major component of it. But Dana, I don't know if you have any any feedback or any thoughts on that. Yeah, I mean, I love the life of Moses as a model for intimacy. It's a really, it's a really high bar for us, mm-hmm. you know, because um, most of us aren't even prophets, let alone, you know, the guy who God chose to bring one of his covenants to the earth. Uh, but yeah, I, I think when it comes to intimacy, yeah, it is about seeing like what God is doing. It's about recognizing uh, what he's been doing on the earth. Uh, and also another thing that comes to my mind is uh, frequency. Like the people who you are be- the most closest with think friends think family think anybody who are you closest with it's the it's two things one it's uh the people who you can share the most openly with uh and two it's the people who you see the most often and so it's like a combination of these two things that produces an intimacy uh with other people with just other human beings and i think it's uh similar with the lord can you share the deep things of your heart with God? And also, how often are you talking with him and sharing with him? Uh, and having a relationship and intimacy, closeness with the Lord is it's like being close with anybody. It's, you know, it's like if you guys, if let's say you have a best friend, uh, how do you define or how do you uh, how do you describe if you once had a best friend, but now you guys aren't as good of friends you say, well, we're not as close or we drifted apart or, it, you know, however else you want to say it. But it it's the same thing with the Lord. It's how close are you with him and how much, how much do you share? Cause you can see people every day, like at work and spend time with them and they don't really know anything about you. Uh, so it's not just time, but it's time and uh, how open you are and, you know, those two are inputs to the output of intimacy if you want to make it into an equation. Yeah. Yeah. And the 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 two-way communication aspect of like openness, where it's like Moses opening his heart to God, but then God opening up his heart to Moses because he trusts Moses. And yeah, through that, him just really, I mean, it's just just illustrates part of what it means to be close. Um, to God. Yeah. And it's crazy the way that Moses uh, has his relationship with the Lord. Like most of us, if we got a command from God, we would just say, yes, sir. Right. But Moses at some points, he's like, Hey, that's not a really good idea. You know, he actually pushes back. And uh, one interesting thing that we see and mainly we see it in the old Testament uh, is a principle of, when people are closer to God, it's this, right? Like you said, the two-way communication and almost like God is, he gives us ability to even like say no and give input. And you see God changing his mind so many times. Like when the Israelites made the golden calf, God just wanted to crush them and make a new uh, nation out of Israel. Moses says, hey, don't do that, right? He's literally telling God, hey, it's okay. Take a deep breath. And this is so astounding to me. And God actually listens to him. And he says, actually, you're right. And uh, we can see this 
uh, with the way that Jacob wrestles with the angel, uh, you know, and then we can see this with the way that Abraham uh, even is like doing some negotiation with the Lord on whether or not he's going to kill Sodom and Gomorrah. And so anyway, that's it's just a little bit of a side nugget, just pulling yeah. Shay off his train of thought. No, 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 no. I well, I, I like that train of thought because I, I was thinking of a passage in Judges, um, where there was a or Joshua. There was there was I think Joshua. There was a battle, and um, the day was about to end, and I think it was Joshua or someone commanded the sun to stand still so that like you know more time could pass so that they can you know win the battle, and it goes on to say that there was no day like it before or after where the Lord listened to the voice of a man. So that's another, like, just expression of intimacy, where, yeah, like, he could literally tell his son to stand still, and it says God listened to him. Yeah, that's wild. So it's crazy. When you read the Bible, and if if you grew up in church, it's actually almost harder to read the Bible sometimes because you're reading it through just like, oh, I know these stories, and you don't always see the things that are so shocking. You know, like even in this chapter that Shay just read, Numbers 12, literally God comes down and opposes uh, Aaron and Miriam because they are arguing with Moses. And so it's like, did God really come down? It's just kind of mind blowing when you really when you read the text the way that it is instead of, you know, reading in all these other other things that. Yeah. So, yeah. Anyway. Right. Yeah. I mean, talking about the concept of God coming down, you know, in so we we see in the Israelites for the Israelites, Moses was I mean, he was the guy who was clearly the most intimate with God. But then also there was the priests where I think it was once a year they were able to go to this place called the Holy of Holies. So they had a tent um, where it was which was a meeting place with God. They had the holy place and they had the holiest of holies. And it talks about how the glory of the Lord would appear, you know, above the mercy seat in the holy place. And there's multiple times in, you know, in the, in the Torah or the, was it the Pentateuch, the first five books, and then other parts of the Old Testament, that it specifically articulates what happens when the glory of the Lord appears. You know, it talks about fire from the Lord coming down. It talks about a pillar of cloud. And, Whenever the glory appeared, when it articulated the glory of the Lord appearing so often, it was in a way that was tangible to the people who were witnessing it. And it was something that just got their entire attention. Like it either put fear into them. It caused them to bow down and worship. You know, it was something that just arrested their attention. Right. And so the the, the idea of seeing beholding the glory of the lord the glory of the lord appearing was very tangible and the place where you could ultimately experience it you know because there are times where it it came at different moments but it, it it said to the priests that you know i think once a year if there's these certain sacrifices they had to do and when they came into the holy place that is the place where the glory of the lord appeared and i i want i want to I want you guys to remember that thought because I'm going to go in to the New Testament and draw a parallel with the concept that the holy place was the place where the glory of the Lord appeared. And the glory of the Lord was something that they tangibly experienced, you know, to the point where 
you know, if they were in sin or disobedience, the Israelites, you know, they were afraid to go up to the mountain where the glory was appearing. They said, Moses, you go up for us and come back with what God said, because it was, you know, God is a consuming fire. It wasn't just, it wasn't just in a, like an abstract con concept. It was something real that was, that was tangible. Um, and so just in the Old Testament, just touch a little bit on intimacy and touch a little bit on what it means to see and experience the glory of the Lord. Um, and Dana, I don't know if you have any thoughts on that before I move into some, some new Testament stuff. Yeah, I was just going to comment on verse seven in numbers 12. It says, uh, sorry, verse eight says that Moses beholds the form of the Lord. What do you think that means? That's yeah. I've actually been really digging into that recently, actually. Um, and I have hold the form yeah. of God, and this is God saying that. Yeah, right. So there's another translation that says He sees me as I really am, because in in the New Testament, and I think it's in yeah Philippians chapter two verse six, it talks about how Jesus existed in the form of God. To exist in the form of that thing is to be that thing, right? Does that make sense? Yeah. And so saying so he's he, seeing Jesus? I mean, I believe that that seems to be what it's alluding to. Yeah, maybe. I, I don't have an answer. I'm just asking. Yeah. I mean, I, I don't know if I have an answer either, but it's just that's what it seems like it's saying. Because even, I mean, even the... Uh, I don't it's know if I want to go here, but it says like Moses spoke face to face with him as one speaks to a friend, which some people see is like that's a rhetorical expression, because then it also says like no one sees me and lives. But what if he sees Jesus, but like you can't see the father in his fullness, because that's a that's a concept you see in the in the New Testament. But that's just speculation. I don't I don't really know. Yeah, well, there's also Genesis 18 to dig right. ourselves a little deeper in the hole where. The Lord comes and Abraham makes him food and the Lord eats it. Yeah. You know? So anyway, just if uh if you're intrigued in this, if you're listening and intrigued in this, just get a hold of these verses, Genesis 18, Numbers 12, uh, Philippians 2, and just meditate on it. Ask yeah. the Holy Spirit to come and to uh just breathe on it. it we'll probably bring you into a place of awe and wonder. Yeah, yeah. Absolutely. And I think part of, you know, this conversation so far, it's to give like a, just these ideas about the glory and majesty of God and the presence of God to give like a mindset that doesn't trivialize it and realize the weight of it, the weight of what it is they were actually experiencing. And in, in Psalm 27 verse four, this is the last New Test Old Testament verse, actually, before I go to the New Testament. Psalm 27, 4, this is a prayer of David. David is, I'm sure most of you know, but I can still share. He was, you know, the king of Israel, probably considered the greatest king of Israel. So this was a guy who was very busy. He had a lot of things that he was probably involved with. Yet he prayed this prayer. He says, one thing I have asked from the Lord that I shall seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to behold the beauty of the Lord and to meditate in his temple. So he's saying there is one thing in my life that I ultimately pursue and care about and desire. And it's essentially 
to behold the glory of the Lord and to enter into the holy place and live in that place. That was the one thing that he had. So these things that we're talking about with Moses, with intimacy with the Lord, beholding the glory of the Lord, David, who was called a man after God's own heart, that was his main pursuit in life, according to his own words. So I want I want to move on to Second um, Corinthians chapter three, and then Hebrews. To yeah, just, it's wild though. But yeah, just connect. New Testament. Let's go to New Testament. Yeah, let's go to New Testament. So we talked about how the holy place was a place where the glory of the Lord appeared. And the glory of the Lord, it was, it was consuming. It, 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 it affected the people that it touched. Well, here in in, in Hebrews chapter ten, um, I'm going to read one one part of this, but like all of Hebrews chapter ten is uh it's a parallel to you know the first five books of the Bible, especially to Leviticus. And so we continually talk, we it continually talks about the sacrifices that were talked about in those books, and it talks about the holy place. And in Hebrews chapter 10, verse 19, it says that brethren, we have confidence to enter the holy place by the blood of Jesus. And that's just one time where it says something similar. But it says, We have confidence to enter the holy place by the blood of Jesus. So in Leviticus, you know, we talked about the priests. They had to go. They they got to go to the holy place, the holiest of holies, like once a year. They had to offer up all these sacrifices to be able to enter in once a year. And it was a fearful thing. Because if you did it the wrong way, there's instances of people dying. That the manifest presence of God, if you approach it without proper reverence, you would die. Here it says, we have confidence. Something they didn't have before. They're probably very afraid. Here it's saying, we have confidence to enter in by the blood of Jesus. So the things that they had to do and the regulations that they had to enter that holy place was accomplished through the blood and through the blood of Jesus, through the sacrifice of Jesus. And that holy place in the Old Testament was where the glory of the Lord appeared to the people. And so... The parallel I'm seeing is that the access that they had, the priests had to the presence of God, that 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 that, that pillar of cloud, which is just a manifestation of, of seeing him, it's something that we have access to daily with confidence because of what Jesus accomplished. And if that seems like, okay, like what are you really saying? Like we can, you know, have that closer with God than Moses did. I am saying that because so much of what the New Testament of uh, of Paul's, the things that Paul prayed was essentially that God would give us a revelation of what he's really done and accomplished through the blood, that we would have um, just a knowledge of all the access that we have. Actually, let me find this verse. I don't know, Dan, Daniel, I don't know if you have anything to say, but I, I want to find a verse and actually read it instead of just paraphrasing. But I don't know if you had anything to say before I keep yeah just a just a thought on the what you were saying about really having faith and believing what the bible says i mean one thing I, I the biggest block i think that christian people have in their intimacy with the lord is that they 
uh, we, you can say, I can include myself here too, that we don't really understand grace. We don't understand. We feel like, well, if we're not being a good Christian, quote unquote, uh, then, well, God is not really that pleased with us. And that does not cause me to want to, you know, enter into God's presence and say, Lord, let's spend some time together. But if you recognize that Christianity exists, that the whole reason God sent Jesus was because we were not good people in the first place, and that it has nothing to do with our salvation and our access to intimacy has nothing to do with our own performance or our own works, uh, then we can realize that actually all I need to do is pick my head up if I have sin in my life, repent, and walk into the presence of God. And that's really uh, as simple as it is. Not saying that's necessarily easy, but we need to receive grace and really realize that, hey, this is all a gift. We didn't earn this. And I think, yeah, that's we could go, maybe we could come back to that at the end or halfway. But yeah, that's just a thought. Yeah, and, and I think that's such a key, yeah, to entering in God's presence is realizing that, yeah, it's grace. It was the sacrifice of Jesus. It's not like, oh, look at this person who does all these things right. They get a chance to be close to God. I'm all dirty. It's like, no, like your dirtiness is why Jesus died. And we can have confidence because like he he knows, he understands, he sympathizes. And all he asks is us, for us to come, you know? to come to him and repent and um, we can have just total access to his presence. Um, but I just, I just want to read a couple passages to, yeah, amen. so it articulated the the glory, you know, what, what happens when the glory appears? It's like, it's where you find ultimate fulfillment, satisfaction. It was the one thing David wanted in his life. And one of the things that Paul prays in different ways in a lot of his epistles is some version of, praying for the church to have an understanding a revelation which is which is bigger than just having a mental understanding but just something deep in your heart that understands and perceives everything that jesus has done for you and what he's given you through his sacrifice so one is in philemon how do you say it? philemon philemon um verse six where it says i pray that the fellowship of your faith may become effective through the knowledge of every good thing which is in you for Christ's sake. So saying, I want you to become effective in your faith by having an understanding of what Jesus has given you, what he's already given you. I want you to have a knowledge of it. And in having a knowledge of it, I want you to become effective in your faith. Um, another passage is in Ephesians 1. Paul says he never ceases to give thanks to you. And I never stop making mention of you in my prayers that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give to you a spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened so that you will know what is the hope of his calling, what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints, and what is the surpassing greatness of his power towards us who believe. So in other words, Paul saying, I'm praying that something happens in your heart where you begin to perceive like the glory that has been given you, the power towards us who believe. And in Ephesians 3, which I won't read, um, 
it's essentially talking about how Paul, again, is praying that we would have internal strength to begin to comprehend the love of Christ. And as we comprehend that love, we can be filled with all the fullness of God. That's Ephesians 3, verses 14 through 21. So the essence of it is that we've been given this access to the presence of God, this glory of God. The limiting factor is, is it isn't anything other than having a perception of what God does and the, the free access that we have and entering in. And, and so Paul is just continually praying, I want them to understand this, because if they understand this, it will make them effective. If they understand this, they will be filled with the fullness of God. They would actually appropriate everything they have access to in Christ. Yeah, that one in Ephesians 3 is crazy, because Paul is literally saying, it's like, you cannot lift this weight, right? Just no matter how strong you are, pick a weight number, like 500 pounds, even if you're good at lifting, you're going to deadlift 500 pounds. You can't do it unless you get more strength. And Paul's saying, hey, this love, this stuff, you can't understand it unless God actually gives you the strength yeah. to understand this. I mean, Ephesians 3, they're all amazing, but Ephesians 3 just blew my mind this week as I was reading it. And yeah, it's just crazy. You need strength to understand these things from God. And so first ask for that, enter in, and he will give you all these things. He will give them to us. He wants to. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, the, the last passage I want to end in, I don't want to read the whole thing because um I hope as I hope as we I hope as we read out these references, you get a chance to to look into it yourself and 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 pray about it and um yeah really have it impact you but we're just kind of giving like a, a little teaser you know a little appetizer but um second corinthians three half price. what's that half price action half price appetizer action yeah for a for a love offering of 9.99 um <laughs> next passage uh no no never mind. get the pamphlet second um, <laughs> corinthians three um it's it's talking about the old covenant, right? The so the old testament, the um the guidelines God gave them the Israelites to live under. And it's specifically talking about Moses. And it's talking about how in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 7, it calls it the ministry of death. Oh, I, let me just read some of it. Um, verse 7. But if the ministry of death and letters engraved on stones came with glory so that the sons of Israel could not look intently at the face of Moses because of the glory of his face, fading as it was. How will the ministry of the Spirit fail to be even more with glory? Then it goes on to say, For indeed what had glory in this case has no glory because of the glory that surpasses it. So just in, 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 in these verses, it's, it's almost like downplaying what it is that Moses, the you know the the law that Moses was given to govern the Israelites, and it's downplaying it not because it wasn't glorious, it's because what we've been given in the new covenant is so much greater, and it's essentially saying that that covenant had glory, but the glory that we have in the new covenant far surpasses it, and then it goes on to talk about the veil that remains 
over people's eyes at the reading of the old covenant. And it says it's removed in Christ. And the last three verses of the chapter says, but whenever a person turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. Now the Lord is the spirit and where the spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. But we all with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror, the glory of the Lord are being transformed in the same image from glory to glory, just as from the Lord, the spirit. So we started this conversation with talking about the ways in which Moses experienced the glory of God. Yet in this passage, it talks about how under the new covenant, there's a greater glory that is released. And then it then it talks about in verse 18, it uses this language of something personal, how we behold as in a mirror the glory of the Lord. That's very personal language. And as we behold that glory, we're transformed to the same image from glory to glory. Another way to say that is from one degree of glory to the other. So one of the things that I that I see is that as much as we look at these stories of the ways that God manifests his presence in a way where we say, wouldn't that be nice? This seems to be saying that in Christ, we have this personal access to beholding the glory of the Lord. And it's as we behold that glory, we're transformed. And so when David prayed, this is one thing I asked the Lord that, that I shall seek that I might dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life to behold the beauty of the Lord. It's like we have a greater access to experience what it is that David was experiencing and what he wanted out of life through Christ. We have a greater access. And, you know, like we said in the Old Testament, that glory was. I mean, it was satisfying, you know, it it it, it was captivating. and so. Back to the idea of um, just a personal relationship with God. The Bible uses language of being satisfied in God, because I really do believe that as we, you know, what we call quiet time or devotional, I think we really can downplay the depth to which God wants to meet us on a personal and daily basis, where he's given us access into his presence that's always available through the blood of Christ. And now I don't want to put into a box as to what it has to look like, but it looks like something. It looks like joy. It looks like peace. It looks like real depth of satisfaction. It looks like, I know for me, when I used to, you know, go out and party and stuff and like, you know, when you'd get high or when you get drunk, you'd feel something. It would give you this sense of freedom of inhibition. This language the Bible uses is that all of those things that people look to for pleasure and to be lost in something greater than themselves, we've been given access to it in a greater measure than sometimes we make room for through the blood of Christ. And as we get an understanding of that, like Paul prayed, and we start to believe it, we'll realize that the door was always open for us to access the presence of God in ways that can blow our minds and i'm not saying like i've arrived i'm not saying i've had anything like the depths of experience of intimacy that moses has but i believe it's available and i believe that jesus paid for it and i'm gonna make it the pursuit of my life to experience that closeness and intimacy with the lord because that's what he's paid for and that's what he's given us access to amen yeah that's so good just 
I love that point of being satisfied in God. <clears throat> and uh, last uh, episode, we were talking about the call of God and how when you give up your life and you submit yourself to the Lord, that he will satisfy you. You get everything. And uh, it's the same here that when you give when you give of yourself, when you give your time, when you give of your your value and your heart, the, the, the Lord moves and he satisfies you. And I, I just remember the first time that I really felt this on a large scale. I just remember thinking, this is what I was created for. And God, if this really is you, I'm going to follow you the rest of my life with, with everything that I've got. And many of us, uh, you know, in church and many of you listening uh, have experienced this. And yeah, it's really an amazing, it's an amazing thing. And there's always more, you know, for some of us, this is maybe a topic that, oh, we've heard so many times and just like, let me get on to something else. But really, this is a foundational place. It should be a foundational point of connection with the Lord. This is really just about connecting with God. It's about getting to know him. It's about the Lord getting to know you. And it's about having a good time in his presence. You know, I mean, why do we hang out with people? Why do we pursue relationships? It's because we get something from it. And it's the same thing with the Lord. And we don't pursue him as an object, like a vending machine to get something out of it. But it's just, this is how how God himself created relationship. And he desires to have relationship with us. And we ought to have uh, a desire to have a relationship with him. And then, you know, just... If I could add my final thought here, it's just that another like uh, thing um, that really helps with intimacy with the Lord is when you realize how much the Lord wants relationship with you. Yeah. And John 17, 24, Jesus says, Father, I desire that they be with me. Uh, paraphrasing that. But the point is Jesus is desiring. He's praying to the Father. And he's telling the father his heart. So number one, you can see the intimacy that Jesus has with the father. But also he's saying, Lord, father, I want that these people would also have intimacy with me and have intimacy with you. And when you realize, wow, God actually really wants intimacy with me. That is a game changer. If you actually can, can wrap that around your mind and that he did so many things just so that he could know you. And people ask, why? Why did God do this? Well, we're not really sure. Uh, although we know that, you know, from his character, he is love and he wants to share that love. So anyway, we ought to be very hungry and gluttons to uh, get in God's presence. Yeah. Yeah. hundred percent. And yeah, I think I just think so much of the root of what inspires us to do so is yeah, realizing how how much God wants to be close to us. And I I think for me this is this is a personal thing. When when I hear stories, like for instance, when, when I read the Bible and I read it with the mindset of like wow, wasn't it cool like these men or women of God that God like reveals himself to and I start reading it as this was to give us like a inspiration to begin to pursue the same things for ourselves in yeah. our day. That that's a, that's a game changer. And so I think that that's like a huge, 
um, a huge, I think a huge way I think some of us need to shift because um, I was talking about with some people last night. It's just like we use, depending on what kind of church context you're in, but sometimes we use the language of experience the presence of God, hearing the voice of God, and we so trivialize it. We so trivialize our understanding of what that means. It's like it's like real what we're experiencing, but it's the what God actually wants to pour out is so much more than what we're currently experiencing. But when we use the language of the presence of God, it's almost like in our language we create this ceiling where now to experience the presence of God means that I cried during a worship set, which is great. But then like we don't even realize the way that language uses us, like creates a ceiling. But then when we read the Bible and Moses says, show me your glory, or we see the pillar of cloud descending, it's like we have a framework where somehow that's like a different category of thing when really that's the language around experiencing the presence of God. And we ought to, like you said, there's always more. We ought to long for the more and believe for the more. Um, Because I think that when we look at just the current condition of our world and the church, it's like we need to see Jesus afresh. You know, I'm not saying new doctrine or whatever, but like we need to have this fresh sense of like being in awe of him in such a way that begins to affect how we live and how we talk about him. And that's ultimately what's going to cause people to to want to know him is because it's not something that we're just reciting um through words but it's something that we're we're tangibly tasting of in a way that's qualitatively better than what they have in their own lives but like it's very easy to just have the language around these things and not really experience the reality and so when we when we use the right words and the right theology sometimes we can have no power because we haven't ultimately tasted of the reality um, behind the words that we're using. I don't know if that makes sense. I use a lot of jargon there, but. Yeah, no, it's, it's good. There's I like what you said about more. Uh, there's always, there's always more. We long for that more and whatever you got, the Lord has got more for you. Yeah. And yeah. So it's just about walking in it making time i mean this is you're hitting on a lot of different things here but just one thing is take the time to realize that you have access by the blood of jesus and that it's not about what you do it's about jesus's payment for you on the cross and you walking in that and take time out of your day to allow yourself to enter into that presence of the Lord, because the Bible says that as you behold God, he will transform you. And as you stay rooted in him, John 15, as you abide, you will bear fruit. And so this is the same idea as abiding is just spending time soaking, get yourself drenched in the presence of God, get yourself dripping in the presence of God and go about your day and watch God move and watch him work through you. But sometimes it's just about taking that time and everyone has different capacities for that. But however that looks like, get time in his presence. 
and you will change. Yeah, that's good. Amen to that, 100%. Um, yeah, they, I don't think there's anything else to be said. Yeah, make That's it. We said Lord. everything. Make time for the Lord and see Amen. him work. This is the yes. quiet time. Relationship. Okay. <laughs> yeah. This is uh this is our advertisement. Read your Bible. No, this Summary. Is our, all this was our advertisement for our custom devotionals. <laughs> we really <laughs> wanted to give a hard yes. a hard pitch. So yep, you can get our them. custom devotionals for 28. No, just kidding. We don't have any materials to sell you. Yeah. Anyways, yes. uh, let's, yes. let's close this out. Thanks for joining with us. Hopefully you can listen yes. in next time we do this. Goodbye. Yeah, love you guys. Bye.